Bokertov, welcome back to another in our ongoing series of Shriyam Adaf Yomi. We are now to both Daf Yudbet Amur Aleph at the next Mishnah, which is Mishnah Hey 1. Uh, that's why I marked it on the page, and that's simply because, as is fairly obvious, um, the next Mishnah is the second half, which is what we're going to call Hey 2. And this Mishnah deals with uh, the custom that we've already encountered uh, that existed in Yudan, the southern part of Israel, having to do with a chatan kala, and we'll get right to it. If somebody uh, eats, has a, has a meal, with his father-in-law in Yehuda, and there are no witnesses that can testify whether or not he maintained a proper distance from his betrothed, then, He later on does not have tanat betulim, simply because, because as we saw, the custom was that in Yehuda, they would uh, put the two in seclusion, and we will see in the Gemara a reason for that. Uh, they would put them in seclusion before Nisuin, and as a result of that, he can now not claim Tanat Petulim, because he himself might be the one who uh, changed her status that way. Meaning, Tani HaOchel, the more immediately observes, the fact that it says, if you eat, Eitzel Chami Yehuda, so what does that mean? That's obviously it means that there are some places in Yehuda where people do not eat with their father-in-law. In other words, not all places in Yehuda have this custom of having the Chatan immediately enjoy the kind of, um, I guess you might call it, proximity or familiarity with the family that is uh, mentioned in this Mishnah. So some do, some don't. And we have support for that, but the support is a little strange. says, in Yehuda, they originally would have the Chatan and Kala go into seclusion just before the Chupat. So he would already be familiar with her, intimate with her, and there wouldn't be all of the trepidation, whatever it may be. But they do not do such a thing in Galil, Galil in the north. They also would put two chaperones with them, before they go into the marital bedroom, uh, one for each of them. They would check them out in order to make sure that they were not planning any sort of a deception, um, to try to make it appear as if she wasn't the Petula, or, or that she brought in uh, a, a mapa that already had blood on it, to try to prove that she was a Petula when she wasn't. Galil They would have these chaperones, maybe them or other chaperones, sleep in the same house that the Chatan and Kala were sleeping in, again, to make sure that nobody was trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. Galil but those are the three differences between the places. And now there's an enigmatic statement. Anyone who did not follow this custom cannot have a claim of betulim. Now, what does that mean? Anybody who did not do what? What is it they didn't do? You're saying somebody in Galil who didn't have chaperones? That was the custom. So what is it they didn't do? Ah, hey, so the Gemara asks, what part of the statement is this last, uh, this is the conclusion referring to? If it's talking about the Reisha, meaning of the customs of Yehuda, then it should say, it should say anybody who did practice this way cannot claim betulim. In other words, anyone who was alone with the Chatan and Kala, etc., cannot, cannot uh, make such a claim. And it says anybody who did not practice this. It must be on the Seifa, meaning somebody who did not give, uh, allow themselves to be searched. And this, this, the Seifa here refers to the second and third 
customs mentioned, which is to have the chaperones check them and sleep in the same place. And it should be called Shalom Mushmashri Bayele. It should be anybody who was not checked. Now, there is a way to answer this to say, meaning anyone who did not practice this series of things, but they, well, they, they want to get us somewhere else. Marbaya says it's really talking about the first custom, the custom of Yichud. And really, the proper way to read it is not anyone who did not practice this way, but rather anyone who did practice this way. In other words, anyone who was in Yehuda and, and accept and behaved upon the practice Having Yichud before the Chuppah cannot claim Betulim. That's fairly simple. Amalei Rava, Rava says it's simple, but it's wrong. He says that We have an oral tradition in which this bright is represented as anyone who did not practice this way. Rava comes up with a, an explanation. Anyone who did not practice, meaning who did not practice the Galilean custom in the Galil, Anyone who said, I'm going to practice the Yudam Minhag and have Yichud with you in advance, etc., then he cannot claim Tanapetulim. Uh, so what Rabbi says makes the Brita work with the words Kol Shalonahag, but then you have to add all sorts of other words to make it work. Ravashi says it's really referring to the Seifa, meaning to the case of being checked out, uh, sort of frisked, if you will, before going in. He said, in my version of it, it didn't say, not anyone who didn't practice, but rather anyone who was not frisked. All right, good. The next Mishnah, which is the second half Mishnah, earlier Mishnah we saw that the Ketubah for Nomana is 100 Manet. And now the Mishnah clarifies and says, this is true about all Manot, important, unimportant families, always 100, even from Kohanim. There's a reason that they has to mention that, as we'll see. The Beitin of Kohanim used to collect and demand if Almanat Kohanim was getting married, meaning a woman who had who was from Mishpachat Kohanim, herself was born as a Bat Kohen, married a man, the man died, and now she's remarrying. They would collect 400 zoos. The Chachamim didn't protest against this. Now, Tana, we have a tradition that says, Almanat Kohanim to Batamatayim. Now, our Mishnah stated that in any Almanah, even Almanah Kohanim, gets a hundred. And here we have a tradition that says that the Almanah of the Kohanim really is different, that she gets two hundred. So, how do you face that off against our Mishnah that says all Almanah to one hundred? Rashi says there are two Takanot. There's an evolution here. Originally, the Kohanim, in their families, they demanded that anybody marrying a Betula has to pay 400 Zeus. And Almana was like every other Almana, 100. They saw that people were taking it very lightly that marrying Almana Kohanim, the Ketubah was not that expensive. They got angry, they had divorced. So the whole purpose of the Ketubah was to make sure the divorce wouldn't be too easy. So it's Kinu Lama Taim. Then they, what they did is they doubled the Almana. So it was 400. And then 200. But the problem is, came with the Chazu, the Kaparshimina, people saw, they saw that nobody's marrying the Almanat Kohanim because they said, for the same 200 Zeus, I can get a Betulat Yisrael. Why would I want Almanat Kohanim? So Adrino the Miltayu, they put it back to its original position, which was to have the Almanat of Kohanim go back to 100. Okay. Beitin Kohanim. So now we have this statement that the Beitin. Uh, would uh, would demand higher 
and uh, you had your choice you have to marry her, but if you did, that was the amount. This is not unique to Kohanim. It's not some halacha of Kohuna. Even other important families, families that have good yichus for Yisrael, if they want to practice as the Kohanim are practicing and to demand a higher amount, they can do so. You could say to marry into the, this family, it costs a lot more. Um, and then, now watch this, the, the, the challenge. If somebody wants to do as the Kohanim do, so let's say a Bat Yisrael is marrying into a Kohen family. So it's the Yisrael, her family, that's making the demands. They can say, you know what, you want to marry a daughter, it's more. Or Bat Kohen Yisrael. Right? The Kohanim can make such demands of non Kohanim too. Osin. So now our, our, our inference from this is, Bat Yisrael, the Kohen, Bat Kohen Yisrael, who the Ikatzad Kuna. They must have picked those two examples, because at least somebody's a Kohen, the guy or the girl, somebody's a Kohen in there. Bat Yisrael, Yisrael, oh, but obviously not just two Yisraeli marrying each other, even though they're from important families. In other words, Shmuel, you, you came and said that the ruling that a family can d- demand more is not limited to Kohanim. Any family that, that is important and wants to demand more can do so. You can say in our, in our family, uh, right, the, the, the Gemara and Kedushan talks about not uh, who were so, um, so wealthy that they, for Kedushan, they would demand a whole bucket of gold. You can make such demands. So we challenge Shmuel by saying, you see that a ruling about this issue, Dafka picks cases where at least one side are Kohanim, and must be there to exclude where neither side is Kohanim. The answer is no. Lomi Bayekamar, that Bright is actually making Bat Kohen Yisrael and Bat Yisrael Kohen a more unlikely case. And Bat Yisrael Yisrael certainly works. Why? Lomi Bayekamar, Yisrael Yisrael, Dlomatsiam Allah, Ilui Kama Alina Lach. In the case where Yisrael is marrying a Bat Yisrael, he can't claim, listen, by marrying me, you're moving up in, in status, because we're both Yisrael, and we can't make such a claim. And, not, and nonetheless, uh, she can uh, demand more. Of a Bat Yisrael, a Kohen, but you would think that when a Bat Yisrael is marrying a Kohen, he can say, listen, you're marrying me, you're marrying a Tukuna, you're going to eat Truma, and you're going to be connected to Kajim, etc., right? Then... Well, not really Kachin, but certain Matanot to do with the family beginning, and you're rising up in status, so you shouldn't demand so much. Aim alone. There, I would think she cannot make such a demand, her family can't make such a demand. Kamash Milan. And therefore, the ruling says not only about Yisrael the Yisrael, but even about Yisrael the Kohen, where the Yisrael family is saying, our daughter is 400 zoos, and the Kohen could not come along and say, sorry, but uh, I'm bringing her up in status. He doesn't have that wherewithal to say that. So, so, uh, so Kamash Balan, that the, uh, that the Bait Yisrael, the Fat Yisrael family can make their demands. Good. All right, the next Mishnah. Uh, this is the beginning of a series of cases in which Rabbi Gamliel or Rabbi take one position, Rabbi Shur takes another position. Their positions are consistent. And later on, not in this podcast, but in the later piece, we're going to see the sequencing of why they're in the order they are and why we need to see both positions in all four cases. Case one, on the same time, Shavu Matzal Abatulim. All right, here we finally get to what we're talking about. The first uh, eight daf we dealt with, the first ten daf we dealt with. A guy daf after get married on Wednesday, so that if he doesn't find Batulim, he'll come to the Beitin. So now he comes to the Beitin. Now he comes and says, and and she admits she's not a Batula. He omerit misherastani and anasti. She says, you know what? I was raped. He's obviously not a coin because then this whole thing doesn't start. 
She says, I was raped after Erusin, which means once I was already under your purview, I was spoiled, as it were, and you lose. He says, no, it happened before. Now, how can he say it happened before? So he's saying it happened before, saying it might have happened before. And she's claiming, I know what it happened, and the one it happened to, it happened when I was already Bershutcha. Uh, and he claims, which we already clarified means that he's claiming, perhaps, that he's claiming that I should pay you nothing. I pay nothing, I want divorce you, I pay nothing in Ketubah. So take the position, we believe her. Right? We don't base ourselves on her testimony. We assume that she's a Bula from before Erusin. And she deceived him. Until she can bring proof that that's not the case. So in other words, let's just clarify before we get into the Gemara. are basically saying that her claim is a claim of Bari. Bari means sure, as opposed to his claim, which is Shema. His claim cannot be Bari, cannot be saying, I know when you got raped, I know what it is, because after all, then he was he was going in with his eyes wide open. So uh, he must be saying, maybe you were raped then, that's Shema. She suddenly says, I know exactly what happened, and she's Bari. And Rabbi Yoshua says, no, we are going to go with the Chazakah. Which Chazakah is it? Well, here we have a conflict, because on the one hand, her body, we assume, well, you know, she was born as a Betulah, and the the um, the notion of a Chazakah Kama, the Chazakah that goes back to its original state, is things were always in their original state until the last moment that you, that you have to claim that they weren't. Which means we would have to assume that she's a Betulah until the very last moment when it's possible that she wasn't. Which makes her changing from Betulah to Betulah late. On the other hand, he's got a chazaka, which is the money is his. To prove that you're going to take the money from him and give it to her, that that um, he's the muhzaka and the money, and that's that's his claim that um, that the that the be'ilah happened earlier, and that he doesn't owe the money. Now let's now see uh, how this plays out. Gitma, itma. Manel omer One guy comes up to the other and says, "You owe me hundred dollars." The other guy says, "I don't know." Rabbi Yudav Rav, and there's no Edim, obviously, and no Shtar. Rabbi Yudav Rav Huna Amri, so two of the great Amorayim say, Chayav. I said, you owe it to me, you say, I don't know, you owe me the money. Menachem Rabbi Yochan Amri, again, two great Amorayim say, Patur. No. Uh, just because I say you owe me the money, you don't know, you don't have to pay me. Let's see why. Rav Huna Rav Yudav Amri Chayav, why? Why Vishama Baryadif, because they say, my claim that you owe me the money trumps your not knowing. And so therefore you owe it to me. So the money stays where it is until I can prove that you owe me the money. I can't take the money from you, even though you're saying I don't know. Good. Now, I'm going to buy the Rav Yosef. So I suggest follows. How do Rav Yehuda, this ruling of Huna and Rav Yehuda, the Yechayev, is really following Rav Yehuda's Rabbi Shmuel. Because what happened? Now, and we have a Mishnah, which is the fourth case of these four cases, and it's in our parak. Let's say a woman is pregnant. No husband, woman is pregnant. And they say, who's, who's the father of this? She says it's a coin, which means she had beer with a coin, and the kid is miyuchas, let's say it's a daughter, she can marry the coon, etc. Um, Alright, so again, like I mentioned, in all four Mishnah, we're going to repeat, in a minute, that we believe her. 
And Shmuel said, that's the halacha, we believe her. Ve'amar le'i Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda, le'Rav Yehuda, Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda, famous ger, who, um, whose father was also a ger, Yehuda, said to Rav Yehuda, he said, Shinana, Amar lan mishmei de Shmuel, you once taught us the name of Shmuel, Shinana was Shmuel's nickname for Rav Yehuda, so he called him an affection. Shinana, you once told us the name of Shmuel, the halacha follows on Gamliel, even in the first case, the first case is our case. So as we follow Rabbi Gamliel in our case, right? My Afarishana, why do you say even in the first case? Why is our case less likely that we would follow Rabbi Gamliel than the case of the, of the woman who's pregnant? The answer is Afagab de Iko never Mari, because even though in our case we could argue leave the money, the Chezkat Mari, that the that the husband shouldn't have to pay the money. Rabbi Gamliel still says her claim of Bari trumps carries the day. So in other words, Shmuel is saying that I accept the position that Bari Adif, even against the Chazaka, and therefore we're translating and saying when Rabbi Yehuda and Ravuna say that when a guy says, you owe me money, and the other guy says, I don't know, that he's chayiv to pay is based on the idea that the Bari is stronger than the Chazaka. Now, Leimah, let's try this. Rabbi Yehuda, Ravuna, It looks like Rabbi Yehuda and Ravuna, who in the case of the debt, when the fellow says, I know you owe me money, they say he has to pay, seem to be saying, like Rabbi Gamliel, that Bari trumps Chazaka. And it sounds like Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Yochan who say he doesn't have to pay, say that Rabbi Yeshua, which is, just because you have a Bari, I still have a Chazaka, the money's with me, and until you can prove to me with witnesses, not just your own claim, that I owe the money, it stays with me. And, and we'll align it as follows. This, of course, will be difficult, because, as we'll see, we rule like Rabbi Gamliel, but it'll be difficult for another reason, as we'll see at the end of this piece. Um, and we say, Amalachar of Nachman. Rav Nachman would say, Amalachar doesn't mean he said, Rav Nachman is not around. This is later, Stamayim probably discussing and saying, perhaps, this is how Rav Nachman would say, my position is accepted by all of the Tanoi. Let's say, Anna da'amia What I'm saying, even Rav Gamliel would agree with. Why? Because I'm talking about a case of a debt, he's talking about the Ketubat. Gamliel only says in our Mishnah that, um, that she is believed the Ika Migo, because she has a Migo. What's a Migo? Migo is short for a larger term, which means Migo, because since she could Migo the Baya Meshachra, because since if she wanted to lie and be believed, she has a better lie to say. What could she have said? In this statement, she said, yes, I was raped, but it was during the time that we were engaged. She could just say, it was Mukaretz, or she could say, it wasn't a Petah Patuach, and we believe her. And therefore, the fact that she's admitting to it, which puts her a little bit behind the eight ball, we have to accept the rest of what he say, she's saying as to when it happened. So she has a migo. Alright, my migo ika, but in the case where one guy comes with another and says, you owe me money, and the other guy says, I don't know, there is no better argument that the guy saying, you owe me money, could have said and be, been, been believed. That's the best argument he has. Saying, you owe me money, he doesn't have witnesses, doesn't have a star. So he doesn't have a migo, which means he doesn't have the credibility based on the idea that if he wanted to lie, he'd use a better lie. He doesn't have anything better. So maybe Rav Gamliel would agree with me that the other fellow doesn't have to pay, and we don't believe the guy saying you owe me money. Inami, here's another distinction. In the case of the girl, we say that, um, that the fellow has to pay the money because she has a chazaka. And what's her chazaka? Her chazaka is that she was a bitula until the very last moment, as I mentioned earlier. Um, 
But in the case of the fellow who's claiming the money, there's no chazaka here because it's not... See, in the case of the girl, we know she was a betula, and according to everybody's agreement here, we know she's now a betula, and the only question is when it happened. So you have on the one hand the chazaka of his money, on the other hand you have a chazaka of her goof, chazaka goof, which starts as it was and changes only at the very last minute. That's our, the way we interpret uh, history. And so therefore you've got her chazaka also. But in the case of the claim, you owe me money, and the other guy says, I don't know if I owe you money, there is no chazaka that the other fellow had, that, sorry, there's no chazaka that the claimant has um, that is going to help him at all here. And so therefore, Rav Nachman says, Rav Galil would agree with me that you don't have to pay. And now, by the way, as a matter of fact, the way we resolved it makes sense. Why? Rav Nachman, who that Rav Nachman, what he's saying, would work within Rav Gamliel. Why? Because otherwise, and this is actually a very deep statement if you think about it for a minute, you will have a conflict within the world of halacha, meaning the world of halacha is an organic whole, and it's consistent. And there cannot be a conflict within conclusions in halacha. And you would have such a thing, why? We have a general rule that whenever Rav Nachman takes a position that others dissent from, in dini, in financial matters, halacha follows Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman is a great dayan, and he's quite an expert in those things, and just like his Rebbe Shmuel, uh, whenever he dissented with others, like for instance with Rav, in dini we always follow Shmuel, he was also a great dayan, same thing with Rav Nachman. So that means that we rule like Rav Nachman, that if I say you owe me money and you say I don't know, you don't have to pay. And here we hold that halacha gamliel, which means Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Nachman's rulings have to sit together. And therefore, it must be that the way that we resolved everything is accurate. And you can infer from there. Good. Last piece we're going to do today is case number two. He comes says, And she says, Her claim back is, Yes, it was a petach patuach, because I fell off my bike, because I got hit by a stick. He says, no, you had relations with somebody, and that's why. Same as before, the only substitution you have to make is instead of chazkat, in other words, the discussion, the dispute now is not about what, about how, when it happened. It's a more fundamental. It's about what happened. And the first Mishnah that we did in this series, the discuss, the, the point of agreement was that she has had relations before. The point of disagreement was when did it happen. Now the disagreement is what happened. She's saying, yes, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not physically a betula because of some accident I fell. He's claiming, no, you had relations with somebody. Rabbi again said, we believe her. She's a Mukat Eitz. Of course, what will that end up meaning in the Ketubah? And Rabbi Yeshua says, we do not live based on her, her testimony about herself. Rather, the, the assumption is that she was Jerusalem Ish, because, by the way, they're both agreeing that she's not physically a betula, And... Uh, as opposed to all those cases we saw in Dafiralov where the girl said, no, Rebbe, I really am a Betula, and they did different tests, they bathed her, they put the barrel, whatever, until she can prove that she was really Mukaretz. Right Now, Tantayu Bumai, what are they disagreeing about? We have here two positions. Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi says they're disagreeing about whether he owes her 200 or 100 in the Ketubah. Now, they're not necessarily getting divorced, but the question is whether or not the Ketubah should now remain the value of 200 or should be changed to 100. 
Rabbi Lazar Amar, Rabbi Lazar the Chav of Rabbi Yochanan, says, They're disagreeing about 100 versus 0. Let's see how this plays out. First of all, Rabbi Yochanan accepts Rabbi Meir. What did Rabbi Meir say? That a Mukat Eitz will always get 200, whether or not the guy knew it about it in advance. So therefore, he's coming and saying that you're not a Mukat Eitz, you're a Jew Sadish. And therefore, I owe you 100. And she's claiming, oh, Mukat Eitz. Whether you didn't know about it, too bad. Doesn't matter. It's insignificant. It's still 200. Rebelezer disagrees and says they're disagreeing about 100 versus 0. This is one of the formulations we came up with in Rabbanon's position, which is that whether or not the guy knew she was a Mukat Eitz, a Mukat Eitz is like a Bula, she gets 100, but even if he didn't know about it, that's not a Mekach she still gets 100. Now, let's see why they don't buy into these other positions. I understand why Rabbanon did not accept Rabbanon and said that this agreement has to be 100 versus 0, because first of all, he says the Mishnah should be like Rabbanan. It's uh, unattributed, at least uh, except for the disagreement about the rulings. But the case is we should follow Rabbanan. Why doesn't Rabbi Yochanan accept this? Why does Rabbi Yochanan go to Rabbi Meir here? The answer is because Rabbi Yochanan maintains, like Rav Sheshit said, that if a man marries a girl and it turns out she's a bi'ula, she's already had relations, not that affected their relationship earlier, then she still has a ketubah of 100, like a bi'ula. She doesn't lose it all. It's not a mekach ta'ut. And as a result of that, so according to that, he's claiming you got 100 because I thought you were a bi'ula and you are He come on and she's claiming I got 100 because I'm mukareitz. Well, if that's the case, then they're not disagreeing. So in other words, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yochanan maintains that if you marry somebody who's Bechaz Kapitulah turns out to be a Bula, it's 100. And if they're disagreeing here, there must be that a Mukarit is 200. Because otherwise they're, they're both agreeing that it's 100. So therefore he says that our Mishnah must be Rabbi Meir. In other words, the Machloket starts with how do you deal with the case of Kinsah B'chazkat Petulah and Seit Pu'ulah. Mary Gro B'chazkat Petulah turns out to be a Pu'ulah. Does she get 100 or nothing? Everybody agrees she doesn't get 200. Does she get 100 or is it Mekach So if you hold she gets 100, then he's claiming your Jew said he should get 100. He's not claiming it happened while they were in betrothed. And she's claiming, oh, I'm a Mukad Eitz. Well, then she must be claiming something different. She must be 200. And the only one who says 200 is her mayor. So that's why he says it's that way. I understand why, according to Rabbi Lazar, it's not Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Lazar the Amora, who says that it's 100 versus 0, I now understand why we had the first case, which was, they agree that she had relations, she says it was during the betrothed, after the betrothed, and he says it was before. And in the second case, with the disagreeing not about the when, but about the what, so why is it there? One of them is to repudiate the position of Rami Barachama. If you recall, we had uh, in a previous podcast, a couple of days ago, in which Rabbi Mamar Barachama, who said that um, that if you uh, marry a girl, Bechazkat Betulah, friends of Mukarets, you get nothing. Alright, so that's first of all. And the second one is to repudiate the position of Rabbi Chia. Uh, which is to say that if you marry your Becheskat Petula and it turns out to be Beula, then she gets a hundred. It says no, that's repudiated to show that she gets nothing. Good. El Rabbi Yochanan, Tati Lamali, but according to Rabbi Yochanan, why do you need two Mishnayot saying the same thing? 
The answer is very different. What is to show you how far Megamliel is willing to go? You know, it's in our case. We'll see in a second. Megamliel means Megamliel and Rabbi Eliezer. And one to show you how far Yeshua is willing to go. In other words, to show you how polarized their positions are. In the first case, even though she has a chazak, uh, she has a migo, right? And she could have said, I was mukarets, but instead she said, Nivalti, we should believe her. Nonetheless, we don't believe her from Yeshua. That's right, uh, the second case, when we just saw, to show you how far Megamliel is willing to go, because in our case, there is no more migo. Her saying mukarets is the best thing she could have said. There's no better lie she could have said. And nonetheless, nonetheless, we believe her. So we see that the way that Rabbi Yochanan explains why we have two Mishnayot is not an internal thing with the Amorayim, it's to show you that the positions of Rabbi Shuma Gamliel are very hard and, and, uh, and polarized. Rabbi Gamliel is willing to say we believe her even if she doesn't have amigo. Which means, by the way, why do we need the first Mishnah? The answer is, so we show Rabbi Shua, saying even when there's amigo, we don't believe her, and, and, um, and we assume the, whatever it is, it's going to support the Chazaka of the fellow's money. So, Mirza Hashem, in, uh, in the next year, we will continue on from here, and uh, according to the schedule, we should finish Perak Rishon uh, after the, the next podcast and the one after that. We should have a wonderful day.